This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. So there is four stops that are really close to each other and then another two stops within like a two-minute walk. All of them are lured. I can't remember the last time I looked at my phone and they weren't lured. Like, it's just perpetual lures there. Like, I want to get a food truck and park it right on the corner because I think it would put Petra through college. <laughs> it's obscene. Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by manadeprive.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mines they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-T. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And you're like, fuck. How does that go? Bang! Fuck. <laughs> Jay Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, wanna, I never, ever want to play in another GP. Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic too. I'm like, I just like, I died. I died. I was like, like just melting on the inside like that. I have inspired this kid to play Magic. And Matt. So I'm having this conversation with this guy in Chile about my deck. And then I'm getting pizza from a guy in Canada. It's like, magic is fucking weird. And now, the A-Team. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 288 of the A-Team podcast. This is KY motherfucking T. And I'm here with my man, DJ Schofield. Hit that shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How's it going, Jer? Oh, you know, just doing what everyone wants to do on their Monday night, uh, watching the Republican National Convention and seeing the Twitch chat. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tragic uh, pastime of us Canadians to look across the border and shake our heads. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah crazy they're streaming it on twitch um very interesting comments so officially or non-officially uh, uh, i think it's officially like there's a really Republican wow. national convention channel and everything uh the chat has been very interesting the guests have been very interesting the statements that have been made are very interesting so um the U.S. is in a very interesting place. <laughs> and I am like that little old lady peeking through the window to see what's going on down there. So uh, but it's better than the local news, because right now, um, I, I think I had mentioned it last week or something like that. Uh, the community I live in, so the neighborhood that I built my house in, is uh, it's a new neighborhood, but it's in an established part of town. Like it's, it's in the city as opposed to on the fringe of the city. It's the old military base, so they knocked all the military buildings down, and they've been building new houses. And the company that does that, uh, it's like a crown company, when they build everything, they name the streets, and they put plaques down to describe what, like, every corner has, like, a plaque describing why they named the street that way. 
So it's got all these monuments, and Pokemon Go just loves that shit. So there is Pokestop. Like, from my house, I can take a five-minute walk, and I can go to three different gyms and 13 different Pokestops in a five-minute walk. And then, like, it's just as congested. Like, 10 minutes away, I'm probably in, like, the 40 range. So it's just absolutely Looney Tunes. There is a lake, and at the lake, there's four stops that are kind of within, like, 90 seconds of each other, like right clumped together. They're all lured and they have about a hundred people there every night. And they've been there since last Friday. Like not this Friday, the Friday before when the game like first came out in the States and people started playing it in Canada, there's been like 50 to hundred to 150 people at that corner until two o'clock in the morning every night. Wow. Like my neighborhood, I look out my window and there are patrols of Pokemon people everywhere. My wife runs around the neighborhood and she's like, Everywhere you look, there are Pokemon people in Grispa. But the local community league is up in arms because they have no clue what's going on. And they're hearing the obscene things that talking heads in the media are talking about Pokemon Go because they don't know what they're talking about. So, like, you hear an obscene comment like, oh, yeah, well, somebody went and knocked on my door and asked to go into my basement to catch the Pokemon down there. Where it's like, if you play the game, you know, it's like, well, you just probably have to stand at the end of their driveway and press a button like you don't actually have to go in anywhere it's a very wide range but it's it's the stuff that they're saying on the news channels that these people are repeating because they have no idea how it actually works so it's it's pretty entertaining to see like old man yelling at cloud um that's happening with that so i i just rather watch the dumpster fire across the border as opposed to the dumpster fire (laughs) in my net back uh my backyard so i imagine they're repeating a lot of the stuff like that a lot of the Pokemon trainers, in quotes, uh, being careless and like getting into themselves in car accidents, etc. Exactly, it's stuff like that, like people not paying attention when they're driving or people doing it on their bikes and stuff like that. There's that type of talk, and then it's funny because like I was trying not to troll people, but like you have like the one guy who's like, oh, I, I read a thing about uh, a kid knocking on the door to the Hell's Angels uh, headquarters in Australia, wow. asking to what go the in there to, to to get the Pokemon out of there. How can this game be safe? And it's like, yeah, that was right after the the article about the Saudi prince who was trying to give away his inheritance and needed help from a Westerner. You know, like it's like you people are making this garbage up and you guys are just eating it up because you don't know what to hate right now. So, you know, it's it's outrageous that these people are playing games outside and going out and doing all this kind of stuff. It's outrageous. You know, like, why can't they be normal like me and sit on my ass and play Candy Crush? Like, (laughs) So I've actually played a bit, and I I enjoy it. I I haven't gone hardcore like these people going on these uh, long hour excursions, yeah. or uh, but it's it's made certain walks uh, more interesting. Like uh, even last night, where I had to walk from a certain location to my bus stop, which was a twenty to twenty five minute walk, and I took a little detour that had more more polka stops on it, and. Uh, I actually enjoyed the walk even more. So it, it was, it added to that. It added to my random strolls or, or walks that I needed to do. Yeah, I uh, did. Uh, I played Friday Night Magic this week. And then I also played a pre-release uh, on Sunday. And in between rounds, I walked down the street and back up the street. So I took like a little five minute walk in between each of my rounds just to go and see if I could get any of the, the little uh, Pokemons <laughs> to come out and play. 
And it was nice because I just, I got out of the store and got out of all like the, the AC and all that kind of craziness, got outside, got some fresh air, walked around, got the blood pumping again, and then came back inside. And I, you know, felt a lot more focused. I felt a lot clearer. So it, it's funny because it's like these weird things that motivate us, uh, me chasing around pixels uh, is motivating me to, you know, just have a better lifestyle, even in like magic environment type stuff. So yeah i think that's awesome and um you know i i saw our our guest from last episode uh doug tweeting uh oh doug's going hardcore and it's right, funny because but, like i'll bring out I'll, I'll turn on my phone let me let me do it right now because i'm gonna totally <laughs> cut you off because yeah. that's how i roll but i'm gonna i'm gonna take out my phone and i'm gonna turn on my pokemon go right now so let's see now I'm going to look, because again, I said I got three gyms like within like arm's length and I can actually, from my screen, I can see two more gyms. So I can see five gyms from where I'm sitting right now. And if any of them are yellow, which that one back there looks like it is, um, usually Doug is on it. <laughs> really? Yeah. That is insane. That is insane. Yeah. If Because... Like, I know one of these guys, okay, there's a yellow one that's at the, the HMSC non-such battle honors because there's three different lakes that have monuments to the three different uh, branches of the service. So the Navy one, there's a, a, a gym there. And there's a guy there that I know who's, like, from the store. I don't know who it is, like, from our local game store, but he's, he's in that gym right now. But right now, yeah, it doesn't look like the guys have gotten it, but, like, Marcel and Doug and all them. They go out and they they stomp over a bunch of gyms and usually I can open up my phone and if it's yellow then I know that Doug's there because it's like <laughs> Marcel's got an ant in in my neighborhood so they just kind of meet there and they go around and stomp everything off but it's pretty quite crazy like let me go okay so there's that lake I was telling you about which is like the high density spot so there is four stops that are really close to each other and then another two stops within like a two minute walk all of them are lured. I can't remember the last time I looked at my phone and they weren't lured. Like, it's just perpetual lures there. Like, I want to get a food truck and park it right on the corner because I think it would put Petra through college. <laughs> it's obscene. Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, places have been doing that type of promotion. Yeah. Uh, just, um, I read an article saying, like, a Chinese restaurant in, I guess, Taiwan or someplace was schedule it was like setting times that they would uh put a lure module so that people would go there so people are really taking advantage of this and you know the food truck idea is, it, it would be awesome as well yeah it's uh it's funny because uh so i usually play out of a store called warp 2 so warp 1 is another shop in that same chain and on their white ave location i guess their store is located right between two uh poke stops so he was like advertising his pre-release and i'm sorry i said like for the fans because i'm going to say like a whole bunch more uh but he was setting up lures during his pre-releases and advertising it as like 100 uptime lures for that weekend so he was advertising that the store was going to have 100 uptime lures as just like a hey come and visit our store but also for the magic tournaments he was saying you want to pick a place to play your pre-release my store is not a bad idea because we're going to make sure that there's lures going the whole time you're here at the, the nearby stops. So I thought that was pretty cute. Do you think that actually has somewhat of an impact? You know what? I didn't hear about his numbers or what happened with it. Um, but I'll, I'll find out and let you guys know because I'll let you know. I imagine he's, 
I imagine he's buying a lot, unless he's been gaming a lot and has a lot of them. Uh, you need to, probably buying. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the menu here. You need 680 coins to get eight. So. And they're good for, what, half an hour? Is that what it is? I actually don't know. Like, I, again, I'm not super far into it. I think I'm... Yeah, I, yeah I, you're right. I'm a one Pokemon away from level eight. So I uh, don't have a whole heck of a lot. I don't get a chance to actually go out and walk around and all that stuff. It's literally the times that I'm at cards or something, because if I have time away from the house, I've been using that time to go and play magic. So I don't have like, I'm not, I don't have the luxury of, uh, of uh, seeing that. Like there's no Pokestops or that many gyms where I live. Cause I live in the suburbs. Um, but uh, when I go in for work, when I'm in downtown Montreal, that's like Pokestops galore. So there's that as well. Um, for me, like um, I, I, a couple of months ago, I was planning on, on playing some Eldritch Moon pre-releases this past weekend. I ended up playing Zero because uh, eventually I would find out that the 17th of July would be uh, the anniversary with my girlfriend. So, um, oh, well, congrats! To, yeah, thank you, thanks, Jer. Uh, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> or infinite. <laughs> <laughs> our infinite uh, amount of years together uh, marks our ninth <laughs> year. So I think, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm at the point where it's, uh, why, why haven't I popped the question yet? So uh, I, uh, as uh, the, the lame judge joke of the, the night will be, uh, I'm going to need you to make a play here. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a really good one. Um, and and that plus I I have been uh, super sick uh, over the past week. I am recovering. I feel a lot better than I did last week. Um, but I was really happy uh, to see that that Jer had not only been uh, playing. Uh, I don't at least one or one one pre-release. I played but one pre-release, but it featured my spoiler card. Yeah. So, so uh, please. Yeah. So uh, I go to play the Sunday evening uh, pre-release, which. Oddly enough, for all of the pre-releases that they had at Warp 2, the Sunday evening one, I think, was like his one of his best ones, which is usually not. Uh, I guess numbers around the city were actually pretty soft on this uh, set. But Two-Headed Giant, I guess, was absolutely insanity. I don't know how many people he had, but he said it was mind-boggling how many people he had for uh, Two-Headed Giant. It would just wrap it up as I got in. So That's, that's kind of crazy. That's the same type of feedback I heard from, from our... Uh, Montreal store, so I wonder why. Mm. I'm curious. He said that it's it's it happens in waves. Like he'll have like a couple bad two headed giant sets, and then he'll have a couple good two headed giant sets, and it's almost like the the two headed giant community only wants to play one to two pre releases a year as opposed to all four of them. So he says it's almost like they all kind of come and go in unison. Okay. Uh, so I, I I show up and I say I want to play, and I go sit down, and I get handed a box. And I open up my packs, and the first thing that you get, obviously, is your promo. So I, I don't know about you, but you take a peek, right? Because you know that it's going to be a rarer foil, and it's it's or it's going to be a rarer mythic. So you might as well take a look at it right away and get an idea, like where do I want to start? And it is, um, sorry guys, I'm going to get mythic spoiler up because you know I don't know the names of any cards. So let's let's do that right now. Uh, it's one of the angels. It is. Do, 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 Bruna. So I got a Bruna the Fading Light. 
And Brood of the Fading Light seems like a pretty, pretty damn good card. Like, it's seven mana, which is rough, but you get to return target angel or human card from your graveyard to the battlefield. If you're playing white, you're going to have at least a decent human probably to bring back. Uh, flying Vigilance, 5-7, you know, it's got a big booty, so this card's yeah. pretty damn good. Right. Once you cast it, like, you can even fight with all of the big stupid uh, green stuff. You have a tough time dealing with some of the emerge creatures, but for the most part, you're, you're winning fights with everything unless they're, they're throwing multiple cards at you. So it uh, seems like a pretty damn good card, not to mention the fact that you're probably going to get something back, especially on turn seven, because, well, the game's been going on so long, you have to have had something die. So I open that up, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, white could be a good place to be. This seems like a really bomb card. Awesome. Uh, I got half of a foil merge, so that's kind of cute. Uh, open up my first pack of... Uh, what's the the Eldritch Moon or whatever, uh, and I get uh, Thalia's lieutenants. I think is what they're called. The uh, or Thalia's lancers. The uh, four four for five mana that has first strike, and yep. you can uh, search your library for a legendary card and put it into your hand. So it's like, Whoa. so it's like okay. So I've got double double Bruna dot deck. Right, right. That's good. Yeah. So I'm like okay. So I'm obviously playing white X. So I go through and I open up the rest of my stuff and I look at my white and I've got a Courageous Outriders, the four mana, three, four that like you, uh, you recruiter for humans. Well, it's not recruiter. It's just like you reveal uh, a human from them, put it into your hand, the rest go into bomb your library. So it's look at four and find a human. Uh, so I got that guy. I got the three, four lifelink guy, uh, Faith Bearer, Bearer Paladin. I've got a couple of them. Um, and I've got, I think one Sigardian Priest, that's the uh, two-mana 1-2 that taps non-humans. And I think I also had uh, the two-mana 2-1 two that when he attacks, he gets plus 0, plus 2. So I've just got, like, some random white guys, but I don't really have anything in the low end of the curve. Everything is, like, four-mana or higher. So I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm, like, I'm getting that feeling in my stomach where it's, like, I might actually have to not play these stupid big bombs. Because this seems like it's a bit of a trap. So I go through my stuff, and my blue's pretty mediocre. Uh, the only thing that's going for it is it's got the two, uh, two of the ice uh, spell or whatever, like the tapping spell from last set. Okay. And I think I've got a convolute in there as well. And then I've got the cards that I do like is the, uh, the Emerge Flyer. Uh, what's it called? I think it's a 3-4 flyer, yeah, that you draw a card, Wretch Griff. So I've got two of those, and I'm like, okay, well, that card seems, like, really strong. He's the 7-mana 3-4 flyer that you draw a card when you cast him, but he can emerge for 5 and a blue. Okay. So I think that card is really strong, so I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I like this guy, but I, I don't, again, have anything. I think I have six playables in blue, so it's just like, uh so start looking through my other stuff. It's like, I still got the white thing going on. What's my red look like? I've got some aggressive early stuff in red, but nothing fantastic. Uh, no, like, werewolves or anything like that. A couple little vampires. Uh, not a lot for removal. So it's looking, like, really lame. It's got a... I think I had three of the two mana do one damage. Uh, or it was three, three mana do one damage and get a one one red devil token. Uh, that make mischief, and I was just like, this card just is not good enough. Um, I had an innkeeper, which was like kind of cool, 
Um, but I had like a lot of like Distemper of Blood and just some like random madnessy type cards that were just really kind of boring. Right. Uh, so I'm like, oh yeah, it's no good. So then I uh, I look at the green and the green the green's kind of cool. The green has got um, some good removal in it. It's also got like the Tangle Claw Werewolf, who I found to be extremely good. Um, he's the uh, the four mana two four that can block an additional creature each combat, and then you can like flip them to into a four six that has vigilance and it has to be blocked, and it can block an extra creature. So it's like that card was strong. Um, one of my MVPs of the whole freaking weekend was I had a clear shot. So I don't know if you've seen that card. It's uh, green and two color, or like green and two. Uh, instant target creature you control gets plus one plus one till end of turn. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. Okay. The card read three for one all the time because it would always be a case where like it, it felt like every time I used it I would be attacking with multiple creatures. Oh, they would block block pump spell one of their creatures. I would be able to clear shot with my other creature to murder off that guy, and then my guy would win the fight with his his block. So I was wow. I was always getting three for ones with the stupid thing. Because because typically this is like a sorcery type effect. Yeah. In the past, and you're blowing people out because now it's like an instant. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not a fight. It's the the deal damage to strength. Oh right right right. Wow. Yeah. So like your your creature that does that does the damage doesn't take any damage. So now all of a sudden your creature just has a natural pump. It's it's plus one plus one. So your trade now turns into you winning that. Not to mention, you probably are going to be in range to kill something else. So I, I had one of those, and that card was just disgusting. Every time I drew it, like, it got me back into games that I had no place being in. It was, it was, it felt the same way that being able to cast a cryptic command feels. Makes sense. Like, it just, it was a card that if you were behind, once you resolved it, you were no longer behind. So, uh, yeah, that card was really good. I had, Two of the uh, Crossroad Consecrator. I had two of the Backwood Survivalists. Actually, I had three of them, but I didn't play all of them. I had uh, Swift Spinner that I didn't play, but he got. I came in the sideboard and got into play a few times that way. Um, I had the Captive, the one-two guy that taps for a mana, but then you can like uh, pay seven to flip him into a four-six that taps for two colorless. I had a Prey Upon, so I'm like, okay, my green's really strong. And then obviously I have the Black Green dude. What's his name? Uh, Grim Flare. That's like, okay, this guy's obviously a good little two-drop guy, so let's see what's going on in black. So I get to the black cards, and my black cards are pretty just good. Um, I've got uh, the Collective Brutality, which is just two mana, minus two, minus two. You're not really using any of the other things. Like, I might use the target opponent loses two life and gain two life. Um, what it was nice for is that uh, if I did escalate it, um, I would use it to escalate by discarding a land in order to help me get my uh, delirium. So, oh, so wow. like that was the one thing where like this card, the discard part, it was it was really like kill something and discard a land is what I wanted it to do, and what I got was also making my opponent lose two life and me gain two life. Like I wasn't discarding the card to get that effect; I was discarding the card to get it in my graveyard and turn on my delirium. So it was really cool for that. Um, I had the 3-3 flyer from the last set that you can discard a card to put two plus one plus one counters on a uh, creature. Um, I had a... Uh, he's a bomb. He's a bomb. Yeah, he was really good. I had a Rise from the Grave, which I really liked that card. I had a Murder. Um, I had 
Um, a Thrab and Foulbloods, like the three mana, three, two that has Delirium. That guy's pretty good. Uh, I had uh, the Weirded Vampire, so that's a Madness, uh, three, three card. So, you know, again, another strong card. I had a certain death, which it's always nice to have unconditional removal, even if it is six mana. Um, but I found the format to be really, really slow. I also had the Graph Rats and the Midnight Scavengers. Uh, I never got to live the dream of melding them, but the Midnight Scavengers were just so nice to bring back early stuff because I had a lot of removal and I had some like good high-end things. Like my, my game plan was always to get myself to Delirium and start beating them down with Survivalist and Flipped uh, Werewolves. Uh, and like that was, that was a great place to be. Uh, I could get some early pressure in. Like I had, I think, three games out of the four matches that I played where I was able to resolve a Grim Flare on two and start going to Flare Town. And Flare Town was fantastic because I also had like a dead weight. And since I had two of that green uh, guy that you can pump a human, it would be like green guy, uh, the one, two on one, followed up the Grim Flare on two, then turn three, I'd have the ability to, I, like one game, I had the ability to dead weight one of his creatures and then attack with the, the other guy and still have the mana to pump my Grim Flare to make him into a 3-3. And then once he resolved, it was like I was immediately at Delirium. I was sculpting my draws. Like <laughs> The card on two is obscenely good. <laughs> as expected. I suspect I'm glad. Yeah, so uh, like How dirty 10, out of 10, 10 out of 10 would play again. How dirty you feel to be able to look at the top of your library and be like, whoo, what do we have here? <laughs> um, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Like, that's like, I take a look and it's like, wow, like, okay, I, you know, and it's just, it's funny because it's like, okay, oh, three land. Okay, I'll put one back because I need one and I'll discard the other two. You know, it's just like little stupid stuff like that. Or you like you look through and you open it up and you like drop down like one of the werewolves or something like that or some fatty guy uh i had the uh the fight guy the five three or four three guy the five mana four three that when he enters the battlefield you can have a fight a creature you don't control at one point i threw him into my graveyard just to get my delirium going <laughs> and it's just like my opponent kind of looking at me like what the heck did you keep on top throwing yeah. that card away but it's like i didn't need it because i'm already pounding his face with a four four trampler that can get pumped up and I've already got these other threats. All of my other creatures have delirium, so now they're big and stupid, and it was just really, really cool. So, and it's funny because, like, I feel like I should have lost the first match. I should have started off 0-1, but I played against a new player who just had me dead to rights, but forgot that creatures can tap to attack. Oh. You know, like, one of those people where it's like, I had a, I think I had a 3-2, and they had a 4-4 and a this and a that. And they just didn't want to attack into me. And they gave me like three turns. And those three turns were all I needed to kill off their big werewolf, uh, rise from the grave it, and get another threat out onto the board where now all of a sudden I'm the powerhouse. And I can start beating into them. And the game turned around pretty quick. So it was pretty silly. Beast, Beast Jared. Yeah. Um, did you feel like this... Uh... This format was sort of because you know you you've been in and out in terms of uh, the amount of time you could you could spend playing uh, and and I remember you feeling nervous about um, shadows over Innistrad PPTQ was late in the season uh, how how difficult was it uh, to build did you feel it was fairly straightforward this format uh, well I did a lot of practice on shadows 
Like Shadows okay. took me a very long time to start to get a feel for, and that was my biggest problem with it. But this one here, I sat down to build my deck, and I built the black green deck, and I stayed away from the white. And I went to Mike Lewis, who is the manager of Warp 2 and a very, very strong magician in his own right. Um, and I sat there and I looked at him like, all right, uh, did I do this right? Because he's been watching people play Sealed all weekend. He's, this is his fifth event that he's run in the weekend because he did his Friday midnight and then two on Saturday. And this is his fifth one. I'm like, am I doing it right? So he looks through my cards and he sees immediately, he sees my white, he sees the Bruna Thalia's. And he's like, you've got to be playing white. Like this Thalia Lancer and Bruna thing, like that is bomb city. This is a slower format. Whoever's got the best bomb wins. Like you've got to be playing that. You probably should be playing black white. And it's like, well, green, I lose like a couple of my beaters. Like I lose all of my attacking creatures and I lose my, uh, a bit of my removal and I trade it for, you know, like these bigger bombs in white. And like my black cards, I've got some humans in black. I've got, uh, obviously my Lancers, I've got my uh, Bruna that cares about humans, I've got the guy who can look through my deck to find humans, i got the lifelink things, i got all these things, but I have like no early game at all. So he's like, honestly, you probably should be playing the white, you should play the white, blah, 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 blah. And I sit there and I'm looking at it and I'm humming and hawing. And the thing <laughs> that I liked the most about it was I felt at that point comfortable enough saying, I think you're wrong, Mike, I think I'm going to run with what I did. You know, I, I already tried to balance it out in my head, and I felt like the white was a trap. I think the green-black's going to be way more consistent. And the green-black ended up being way more consistent. So, um, yeah, as far as it goes, I didn't see a lot of aggressive decks. Like, I saw aggressive decks being built. I saw a lot, a lot of white-red. Uh, uh, it seems like green-red might be a really strong place to be because the werewolves and the wolves are all pretty damn good. Um the wolf cards, I, I think they're like really neat to have like these early cards that can be effective that just turn into late game bombs. Okay. Um, and it's nice because one of the things that I always find when I'm playing green decks, and it was apparent in the first deck build that I did for my Shadows over Nishrad, is that I don't value the big green finisher enough. Like I don't value the the crawl worm or the spine worm, whatever hard enough because it just feels like it's such a uh, a small niche that I don't know if I need to fill but like that's the way that green wins is that you just get bigger than your opponent and you beat the crap out of them that way and to have these cards that play like mid-rangey uh, or early game or do these things that once the game stalls out and you need that trump become that trump I think is huge like I think that those cards are just really really strong so I, I was just listening. I mean, listening to you uh, talk about the white cards, they, they either seem not that like the, the meat of it didn't either seem not that impressive or they were like, like the Paladins are just other five drops. So yeah, that, think, that was it. It was mono four and five drops. That's the problem yeah. with white is that they were just, they were all strong cards that like if you, if you have them in play, great. Are you right. still alive? I don't know. And again, I, I didn't know what haste or not haste, but aggro looked like in this format. Mm -hmm. And when I did run into an aggro deck, it seemed to misfire pretty big against me. But okay. like I don't know if that just is aggro's bad or I ran into a bad aggro deck. But I didn't see aggro really running the tables at all in this event where, you know, sometimes that's that's like a draft strat or a sealed strategy that I like to follow is everyone else wants to do neat things. So I'm just going to try and win the game as fast as possible. So, okay. yeah. 
Um, from a mechanic standpoint, did it feel pretty basic, or is it one of the more interesting formats? I uh, I didn't really see anything mechanics wise that mattered. Okay. You know, like I I got blown out by an escalate spell. I got blown out by the white one that gave. Uh, they paid five mana to give both of their creatures plus two plus two. So that card kind of blew me out. But as far as things go, I didn't see any meld. So that wasn't a thing. Um, the madness only seemed like it was a little bit worse. Uh, the delirium seemed like it was a little bit better. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Like I saw one spell get emerged. Uh, I didn't end up playing my emerge cards. I had a, uh, it of Horror Swarm or whatever, which is pretty cool card. The uh, eight mana four four that gets two green tokens and it emerges for seven, uh, six and a green. So that card seemed really good and it was like my last cut in my deck. Uh, I also had the black one that is um, just uh, does like the uh, life tap the guy for three or whatever like that when it comes into play. I can't even remember mm-hmm. what things called it. It's uh, Abundant Maw. It's eight mana for a 6-4 and merge six and a black. And when you cast it, your opponent loses three life and you gain three life. I had that card too, but again, I didn't feel like I had to play these big guys. Like the, the, it, the horse form, I like having the multiple creatures, but it's a 4-4. Four, four. Like 4-4 four, four is not the type of creature that you want to be in this spot that's going to help you win the game. I, I don't think that it does enough. I think it's a great defensive option, but I don't feel like it's like, this is the card that's going to push me over the top at 4-4. Four, four. And then the guy who was 6-4, again, I was still kind of like that 4 toughness, just doesn't seem he's like quite worth it. Um, there's some other guys that might be a little bit better in this spot, but 4 toughness just is lacking. Um, and I've got those werewolves already in my deck, so I have a way to turn my creature on the board into something bigger, and it doesn't cost me a card. Hmm. So... I think that's the strength of green and like of green in general and to a, an extent red is that they don't need to play those big stupid creatures because their regular commons and uncommons have that ability already to turn into something big and stupid. Mm. Um, on the topic of werewolves, I always have to ask you this question. Was it even debatable whether to play or draw in this format by some of the by the players that you talk with? Um, nobody chose to draw in any of my matches. I didn't hear of anybody kind of going down that road. Um, I always want it to be on the play because my draws, like my, my, the turns of the games that I went second in, uh, it was great to have the extra card and I was able to kind of stall the game in the mid range. But I always wanted to be able to go first because I had the opportunity to have the, the, early aggressive game that if I got that early aggressive game going, like it wasn't even a match anymore. Like anytime that I had an opening hand with a, uh, a grim flare, I was just right. so far ahead. Right. Right. So I always wanted to be go. I always wanted to go early on with that. Um, I had one person play like the Nephilia Academy against me, which was like, I, I think that was a mistake. I don't know if there's a world where, that card should be in a, a limited deck. <laughs> so, what does it do again? That's the uh, the colorless land that taps for a colorless, and it says if a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard a card, you may reveal that card and put it on top of your library instead of putting it anywhere else. Okay. Yeah. So, why is that unlimited? I don't know. I think just 
bad people being bad. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't like the the toughest, the toughest, uh, the toughest field I played against, but everything felt good. Uh, my opponent in the last round, he looks at me and he says, "All right, so you know we're." There was three XOs going into the last round. He's like, you want to split? I looked at him like, no, I came to play Magic. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, you know, what, what if you lose? And I'm like, well, I'm probably going to lose. Because, you know, whenever somebody offers you the split and you say no, you lose. That's how it works. So <laughs> uh, he's sitting there and, oh, I don't know if that's going to be good for the show. And I'm like, oh, I think it'll work out fine. Like, it's kind of a, it's a, a free, a freebie. It's a free roll. Because if I win it, then I can be like, yeah, I won the whole thing, and that was awesome. And if I lose, then I can say, you know, well, that's what happens when you're a scumbag that doesn't take the draw or the split. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's what happens. That's how you get punished. That's the magic gods at work. Uh, but uh, however it goes, you know, I can at least paint you to be a good guy for uh, offering up the, the split. So, you know, it was, it was pretty fun. And, yeah, I proceeded to just trounce the crap out of that guy. Like Grim Flare games that were just unfair. So, well, that's a good point, though. Like, I mean, uh, on yours part, I feel like if you came to play, uh, you know, if you came to play like as many matches as you wanted to, playing three rounds and then drawing is kind of lame. Yeah, and that's all it was. Is I just thought that it would be, yeah, it was just going to be lame. Like, you know, I want to go and win my pre-release, so I'm going to yeah. go win my pre-release. And you know what? I want to practice winning. I want to yeah. practice winning. And it's funny, you, you look at professional sports, and uh, I'm a fan of the Oilers. And one of the, the knocks against the Oilers is that we have a team that's way too young, and it's a team that takes these exceptional players because Oilers are always doing terrible and always getting really super high draft picks, and puts them into an environment of losing. And you look at the successful teams, like I know Detroit has uh, kind of stepped away from their winning ways as hard as they used to, but they never brought up any of their young players because they wanted to put their players into an environment where they would be superstars. They'd put them into the minors, they'd leave them in junior, they'd do all these things so that these guys would go out every night, be heads, head and shoulders above everybody else, score a whole bunch of goals, win a whole bunch of games, and just feel awesome. Get that hype up, get that spirit up, get that morale up, make that person feel like they are on the top of the world and indestructible. Whereas with the Oilers, they just give them an NHL jersey and say, hey, you're on the team, you're in our top six now because you can score a couple goals and we don't have anybody. And they come, they don't have what it takes, not necessarily at the NHL level. They stumble a little bit, they start losing, and then all of a sudden they're on the losing team and the team is losing more games than they're winning and everybody kind of gets into that losing environment and they all feel kind of crappy about themselves and they put a lot more stress on themselves and their morale's shit. And when people's morale's shit, then... They don't do well. If you're not having fun doing something, you're not as good at it. Uh, not as good at it. That's kind of a, a natural thing. Right, right. So it's nice to kind of go out and just win events. Win events. I come home and I feel excited and it's like, I want a pre-release. Like, it, yeah, even most, most good players can't, can't do that all the time. So, But it's, it's, but it's uh, nothing. It's, it's, in the grand right. scheme of things, it's, it's nothing. I, uh, I like it. I think I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty damn good. So it's 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 the first tournament that you should try and win. I think it's the first tournament. Be like uh, you have F and M's and stuff like that. But I think pre-release is the first tournament 
that you should try and win when you're trying to, if, if you're looking at the Chibi list, win a pre-release has got to be one of the very first uh, Chibis that you should be setting out for. So, um, so, so the takeaway for, for me and my listeners, if we were to uh, play in, let's say, a re- release sealed, is, is that the format, I think the main takeaway I got was that the format no, is rather slow. I don't, I don't know about rather slow, but I definitely feel like it is more of a a mid range style format. Okay. And mid range format, and there are a lot of unforeseen big creatures that can come out and win games. Uh, I saw a lot of flying that being really pesky with people. Uh, there was one card that was actually very very strong in white. Um, it is an enchantment that gives a creature. Uh, plus two, plus two, and they can pay a mana and sacrifice a permanent to give that creature flying. It's Lunark's Mantle. That card seems very strong. So, just a way, because flying seems like, again, it's another one of these sets where flying is a really, really good, like a really strong, a really strong evasion in this set. Oh, and then it's got that random, well, not random, well, it was meant that synergy with Delirium, where you can sack land or whatever. Absolutely, and one of the things that, if you're ever in a situation, you don't know what you want to sack, and you just need to get one more attack through, and you can't afford to sack a land or a creature or whatever like that, uh, the creature itself gets the ability plus two plus two and has that ability, so you could sacrifice the Lunark's Mantle to give it flying until end of turn. Like, oh, okay. So if you don't need the plus two plus two and you just need the flying and you don't have anything else to sack, you can sack the mantle itself to give it flying. So that's one of those things where like I a guy will miss the kill because of this. Exactly. So that's and then you're standing there and you're like, you could have sacked this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last time we had one of those, it was a um what did I see? It was the uh, Vampire Neonate having Menace. A lot of people always seem to forget that that card has Menace. <laughs> I play with foreign ones, and I know that it has Menace. The English ones, you shouldn't really have an excuse. Um, unless you can't read English, which I guess that is a good excuse. <laughs> uh, there was one other card that we were looking at that was... Mike was giving me a hard time saying that he thought the card was a lot better, but it was actually really bad. Hmm. Oh, it is an equipment. It was the uh where is the stupid equipments in this set? Was it in this set? I don't know. Maybe it was in the last set and I just never had seen it before. Oh no, yeah, here it is. Thirsting axe. So he gave me a hard time right off the get-go saying, like, well, why aren't you playing this axe? And it's three colorless. Or three, three generic, and it gives uh, equipped creature gets plus four plus zero, oh, and at the beginning of your end step, if equipped creature didn't deal combat damage to a creature this turn, sacrifice it, and it has it equipped too. And I guess Mike himself thought that it, all it had to do was combat damage. Yeah, because it seems awful. Yeah, so it's like no, it has to do combat damage to a creature, so it is just terrible, terrible. <laughs> unless like, yeah, unless your deck. Had had a way to make like I get I don't know infinite flying one ones and that you can get in for five every turn then maybe, but uh, yeah, seems seems pretty pretty loose of a card. So I had the scumbag thing where I had a guy trying to trade with me. Okay, he went through my binder, 
Okay, so I went through and I was looking for cards from him. And I found a foil Thalys Lieutenant. Um, it was a foil Thalys Lieutenant. I wanted his zombie token, like his foil zombie token from the pre-release. Because they had two-sided foil zombie tokens in the, uh, the pre-release kits. And there was another card that was not a great card, but it was like a, a definite role player from last set. That was just like, you know, like a, a not garbage card. Like probably somewhere in like the three to four dollar. Or no, no, actually it was. It was it was better than that. It was a Restless Dead or whatever, the Mythic, the two black mana mythic. So he you know, like the cards were valuable to an extent. And he goes through my binder and he pulls out three bulk rares. Like just shit. And I'm sitting there like, oh well, you know, like yeah, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I guess, you know, like, do you want to do those for the, 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 the zombie foil? And he looks at me, he's like, no, man, I, 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 I think we should do, like, three for three. I'm like, buddy, like, this stuff is worth way more. Like, you trade into the store and get all those cards plus more. And he's like, ah, I just I don't like dealing with the stores. I'm like, okay, well, I don't feel comfortable because you're, 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 you're getting, like, I, I'm, I'm ripping you off. I'm straight up ripping you off. It's like, ah, no, no, no. I'm like, ah, I, I don't know. I don't know. So we sit there and some other guys come and start talking. And I start wrapping up my stuff because I, I, I didn't want to make the trade. And then he comes back to me. He's like, I, I really want to get those cards off you. Like, are you sure you don't want to do the trade? And I'm like, are, are you sure? Like, are, like this, this seems obscene. Like, I'm, I'm completely ripping you off. He's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Three cards for three cards. I already have a play set of these cards. So since I have a play set of these cards, I just want cards that I don't have. I'm like, okay. So I ended up like getting like the most obscene trade ever. Like the best card I think I threw in was a Korean, uh, what is it, Deicide or whatever like that? Was that what that card was called? Um, yeah. Yeah, I got a, I, I traded him a Korean Deicide. Um, and I think that was the best card that I traded him for like a, a Restless Dead, a Foil Thalia's Lieutenant, and a Foil Zombie Token. And it was one of those just weird spots where it's like, I gotta do, like, a lot of, like, heavy trades back to other people to kind of work that out. But that's always something I already normally do. Like, I, I, I'm not that guy. If, you're, if I'm trading with somebody and we're off by a couple bucks, if it's on their side and they're comfortable with it, like, I let them have the extra couple bucks. Because I don't want to be that guy who spends... 15 minutes picking through a binder trying to balance out a dollar like it just it's a bad value proposition for me i'm just like i want this card you want that card your card like the card you picked is a little bit more than mine if it's not a big deal like it's if it's not a, a whole heck of a lot and there's nothing in there like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go picking through it trying to find a buck 50 or that so maybe like that's the way of karma kind of balancing things out but it's just one of those spots where it's like those trades happen every now and then once in a blue moon and I know that's why I kind of put like bulk stuff in my binder because you're eventually going to run into the person who wants that kind of stuff and you can like give them like a, a 20 for like a decent card, like 20 bulk rares for uh, a decent rare. But like this guy just wanted to do one for one. And I gave him my binder. I'm like, look, anything else you see in there, go for it. And he's like, no, I don't need anything else in here. <laughs> so just bizarre. Oh. So yeah, that was my scumbag story. I, I, scummed a guy out of a crazy trade but he was begging for it which seems like victim blaming i don't know 
So, yeah, that's awesome. This was at the pre-release or on on Friday? Oh, this was at the pre-release on Friday. I played my dredge deck again. Um, Doug uh, Potter was nice enough to forward an MTG mint card article to me, and it was a article by oh my goodness, what is the fellow's name? Zen Takashi Takakashi. Okay. Okay. And he won the uh, second World Magic Cup qualifier in New Zealand. Uh, and he was playing uh, the dredge deck, essentially the dredge deck that I'm playing, but like it just, again, a different list. But it's the Conflag, Life from the Loam, Narcomoeba, uh dredge. So it's not dredge vine, it's Narcomoebas and Golgari Grave Trolls, but it's also with uh, black, like, Jund color land, so it doesn't have a way to cast Narcomoeba or Golgari, uh, Golgari Grave Troll. So he was playing that deck. Uh, he got rid of all the cute stuff in it. So it didn't have the Miser Street Wraith. It didn't have the Rally of the Peasants. It didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Vengeful Pharaohs, none of that. Odd Spice. It was very, very tuned. So he sat there and he had won his. So I, I went through and I built a version of his deck. Um, one of the things I like that he did is he cut abrupt decay and replaced it with engineered explosives so engineered explosives in the dredge sideboard is just silly because <laughs> it's great for dealing with infect it's great for dealing with stupid decks like elves uh great for dealing with uh affinity to an extent um suicide zoo it's so good against uh suicide zoo especially because they they play a deck that their hate card for you is also one casting cost and everything in their deck is one casting cost. So engineer explosives does a lot of work. So I, I put that together and I was playing with it. Um, I three, one, I lost my first round against elves and it was just one of those really, really awkward matchups where he was attacking me with pumped elves through whatever their elf Lord guy is called um, on turn three. Like he just like nutted all over me. And uh, it was really awkward. Uh, round three, I play against a guy who I sit there and I go first and I run out the neonate and I, he, he looks at it and he's like, oh, God. Oh, no. So then on his turn, he fires off. He's playing discard. So he makes me discard a card. He's like looking at my hand. He's like, I don't know what card I'm supposed to pick. All these cards are better in the graveyard. So I, I, I run him over game one. Game two, he's playing Leyline of the Voids in his sideboard because he's playing mono black discard with all the discard enchantments. So he gets a Leyline on me, and I'm just, it takes me way too long to get out from underneath the Leyline. I finally draw into my, my mono uh, Nature's Claim or whatever. And he's got two Waste Knots. He's got two of the Liliana thing that when you discard a card, you take two damage. And I don't have any way to kind of get my Dredge Engine going without giving him like zombies and taking a whole bunch of damage from his his Liliana stuff. So by the time I get out from behind that Leyline of the Void, the game is pretty much on its dying turns, and I, I just I can't get back into the game. So game three, he does Mulligan, and I keep a, a, a six-card hand, and it looks pretty... Or no, I keep a seven-card hand, and it looks pretty good, and he's like, I got the Leyline off the get-go, and I'm like, ah, crap. So I sit there, and okay draw my top card, it's my Miser's Nature's Claim. So it's like, bam, boom, get rid of that. We're back in it here, and we just steamrolled him because he kept a really soft hand that just happened to have a Leyline of the Void. And I only had one card in my 75 that can deal with Leyline of the Void and 
just happened to be sitting on top of my library game three. So stole that match and uh, yeah, proceeded to go on and win from there. But I really like Dredge. I'm going to be playing it at the PTQs probably uh, all season. So really excited for that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I want to know what's good in standard, though. I need to figure out what's good in standard because what I did figure out is I'm not going to play a Grand Prix when I go to Portugal, but I talked to my wife and I am going to play in the last chance qualifier that they are having in Portugal for the RPTQ for Honolulu. Ooh. So my wife said, like, I've got, she's got uh, a cousin who lives in Lisbon. So I'm, we're going to go to Lisbon. She's going to hang out with her cousin for the day. I'll play in the last chance qualifier. If I win the last chance qualifier, then we'll stay and I'll play in the RPTQ the next day. If not, we'll probably just jump on a plane and go to like Amsterdam or something for the day. So, but really, really excited because it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to actually have one more shot at this, uh, at this tournament. So, but now I need to know what's good in standard and what should I play and what's the new format going to look like. And do I just play, uh, something with collected company because random might be the best thing for me to do Mm -hmm. because I can be lucky (laughs) or do I jump into some sort of white green thing or white blue thing or play these crazy little fairy decks that are all over spirit decks all over the place. So really going to be following that kind of stuff. I've already talked to uh, Mike who uh, is quite the brewer to come up with a few builds and we'll test them out and see what's good and, Try and set me up for with the deck for the WMCQ, or not the WMCQ, the uh, the R- LCQ. Yeah, the LCQ for the RPTQ. So yeah, I'm excited for that. So anyone's got any sick brews, any sick builds, anything, I should be looking at. Shoot them my way. Uh, I need to build a deck for that. So I'm hoping I'll have enough time with it online. I'll jam together some decks online and start playing the heck out of those. Maybe I'll make a couple of videos of those and get some people's feedback. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. Um, seem to be on a roll, my friend. After that uh, lull, you're like, you're crushing it. Yeah. For me, I haven't had a chance to uh, play much, and I'm actually likely to uh, miss GP Montreal because I'm probably going to be checking out Oceaga with uh, my girlfriend. Um, one of the cool things for me, at least, uh, in in the magic world is is trying to figure out um along with peter and of course my boss sal uh figure out the best way to get some of these um less meaningful in-store tournaments uh going uh because as i've mentioned in previous episodes like standard has been uh has been in a lull in in uh in terms of um these like weekly or, or, or monthly tournaments that are like non ptq level tournaments um they haven't been attracting the the more the casual competitive crowd as much so i'm pretty excited to see what the turnout is going to be in august because we are definitely we are trying something new like the first week of august we have um for the first time we're having a free a hundred dollar in prizes tournament completely free entry yeah so legacy and we're going to do be doing that for other formats as well and uh just going to check what the reception is the goal is obviously just to get people in the store so we'll see how that goes whereas previous um uh, previous editions of of these tournaments were like 15 dollars with like a door prize but 
Like, it doesn't really matter, I guess, how good looking the door prize. Like, it looks really good on the posters when we're trying to advertise the the given event, but it's a door prize. Like, it's a random guy that's going to win a playset of Cunning Wishes or whatever we decide to to put up. Yeah. So I don't know how attractive that really was, but it, to the eye, it's really attractive. But then you realize it's a door prize. But here, it's like free tournament. So, hey, hopefully... um. We're going to make some noise, and uh, we're finally added uh, a weekly thing on the weekends, whereas we, we usually have all our magic stuff on the weekdays, but now every Sunday we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a run and see how it goes, uh, consistent commander uh, events on, on Sunday. So um, from my point of view and my job, it's just really... Um, cool for me to see what works and what doesn't work because as a hyper competitive player when he's playing it's hard for me to sometimes relate to some of the more casual competitive like the people who do enjoy just coming to the store on a weeknight and playing and some of these guys play like every single weeknight but they never show up for a ptq level event yeah and those people are um they're like huge supporters of their store because they're always showing up, but they're people that I've never seen before at these high level tournaments. So definitely people that I have no idea how to relate with. And, and it's interesting. Uh, it's really interesting to me to, to figure things out and see what they like. Like, would they like it more if it was free? Like stuff like that is just, uh, hopefully we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things where it's, you have multiple, Multiple, uh, multiple clientele. You know, Magic tournament players are not all the same breed. Um, yeah. Like you will see. Uh, I keep liking. I gotta stop liking. It's not Facebook. Um, you see players who want to play Magic in a less competitive environment, but they still want to play in tournaments. And you'll see that stores that have a really wide prize base uh, will usually draw those folks in. Then you have the very competitive players who want to play high stakes tournaments where prizing is only the top eight and it's big prizing for the people who win it. And uh, the stakes are a lot greater. So I've seen a lot of people who will play all their Friday Night Magics, they'll play all their weekly magic events, but they won't go to these big events because they don't care as much for the big prize as the other people. They, they play to play the game. They play to, you know, have some low level competition. Uh, they don't play to have to get right into the nuances of the game, to have to be right on top of metagaming, have to fight to make sure that things are being um, carried on. Like It, it was uh, a tournament, I think it was the WMCQ, where I was sitting and there was two guys playing and one guy was playing and the other guy had no idea what was going on. And that guy, they said, like, well, you should probably call a judge on this. And Buddy didn't want to call a judge because he just doesn't think that calling a judge is the thing that you do. Like, he wasn't serious about making sure that he knew what was going on. He was playing in a serious tournament, but not as a serious player. And it was like little things like that where if Buddy has a bad experience in that tournament, there's probably a very strong chance that that player is not going to come back and play another big tournament like that because they can play their local tournaments at the store, have a great time, and they don't have to, you know, worry about these weird interactions that can happen when the stakes are a little bit greater. So. Yeah, and 
that's that's very true and uh i'm becoming more and more aware of that uh every day so every um, day every day i'm shuffling every day i'm shuffling um uh this is this past weekend last night even um i had the utmost enjoyment of uh watching evo while chatting oh, with you uh, yeah and barry and uh other people that were oh, we should have uh, had a little group chat going on then i would love to oh, chat yeah. with barry and them why were you like keeping them from me <laughs> i'm actually but, I'm, I'm actually upset because it's like i'd send you a message <laughs> and i was just like i felt like i was getting i felt like i was getting secondhand kyt <laughs> you're obviously saving you're you saving all of your real good shit for barry weren't you you are not you are fucking not. barry not fucking barry. <laughs> blame oh, barry wow. <laughs> i got i got home from uh celebrating uh ninth year with my girlfriend and uh so i didn't didn't have time to watch all the top eights that that i usually watch but got home in time for the top four and you were online and man that was beyond hype it wasn't one of those things that you know oh infiltration is going to take down this tournament it was like whoa he might actually lose so there was like a lot of uh excitement i was on the edge of my seat of every match it was pretty insane well you missed also like the long island joe storyline yeah i heard he's he was the most popular fighter uh player well he was kind of a he's like an an unteamed guy that was in the tournament who kind of like made some pretty epic comebacks to squeak into the top eight. Um, he was the last American player in the tournament. So he's like, he's, he, he fought the odds and like kind of came in and became like this like champion for everybody because, you know, he was the American who was still left in it. And like, they have all this crazy stuff. They show up at the arena and it's like his match and they show his dad in the stands and he had no idea his dad was coming, but his dad found out that he was going to be in the top eight. So his dad dropped what he was doing and jumped on a plane just to really? surprise him in Vegas. And how like, old is he? The, the, how old is he? Oh, well, the dad, I don't know. The dad was like, I don't know, the kid, the kid, the, I mean. the guy, I don't know. He's probably in his twenties. Okay, wow, that's insane. So it's just like, dad? yeah, it's like his dad shows up to like support him and it's like this, like, it's like Hollywood. It's funny, like for a fact that they have ESPN broadcasting Evo. It was yeah. pretty awesome that they had like a an ESPN story going on. Like you know, they they, they had a, some really good stuff going on there. And then infiltration was just infiltration. Like he was just absolutely nutty. Um, it's wild to think that he's not like an old 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 school uh, Street Fighter player. Like he's. I think he's only been in the game for six or seven years, so he's only he's, he's still relatively new when he decided to get into it, and is just like lights out. Yeah. So absolutely wild that the way that that tournament went, that the matches were all so close uh, to see Infiltration make his big climb back to to reset in the grand finals, and then have it on solve, like have the have the whole matchup solved. It, it was so wild because. I remember I sent you the message solved and you're like, maybe not quite, but it's like at that match yeah. there, the first thing, the one thing that happened in that match that didn't happen in any of his other matches. And it was funny because it was for a while there, it was like either he perfect or he lost. And what it was right. is that he didn't have the ability to get the game back to stop the momentum. So when he was getting wailed on, he was getting caught in all these mix-ups. It, was, it, would, it would be the case that as soon as he got started getting hit and get caught into a combo, he just had no way to stop the onslaught and, and, and 
push back. And once he figured out how to do that, he had a match where he won it and he had gotten beat up in it and was able to take the game back and actually win that match. That's when it was like, okay, like now he's got it figured out. Now he's got it solved. And obviously the Korean guy with the, the, the great trash talk at the end, it's like, well, what, what was different? How did you figure it out? And he's like, two words. Download complete. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it was amazing. Yeah, it's just like the pretty funny infiltration uh, interviews. It's like, what are your big plans? It's like, ah, stream more. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, the other character just seemed uh, when Voodoo was it when he won the first match. Like you were talking about those combos, they just did insane damage, and it will always leave like infiltration, like stunned. So he goes in for another combo. It just seemed like if he just connected, uh, one of his combos starts connecting. It was like re like extremely hard to come back, and it was nice to see in the later matches how he was avoiding that uh, that grab or that throw. And just uh, just defending it so well that Fudu couldn't even do that those combos that he was doing with regularity in, in the first match. So I was really impressed about that. Just just the way it played out, like you said, you know, he loses and then comes back, and you can see like distinct differences of how it played out. Like that, he definitely adjusted to uh, Fudu's uh, plan. So I, I was mind blown. I was mind blown. Well, it's it's like that that character has uh, Mika. There has a uh, what they like. It's called a reset, right? You get your combo going. Your combo can only go so far. Uh, the game's kind of designed in a way that the damage starts to negate itself, and certain moves can only be comboed if you do very like few different things. So you can only get so many combo hits out of things. So one of the the strategies are you set up a situation where your combo ends, but you're able to do another attack to get it restarted. So you drop the combo intentionally just to pick it back up again and be able to get a bunch more hits in. And with Mika, her, 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 ah, oh, geez, I can't remember the exact terminology. So it feels really lame kind of explaining it. But her thing is that she pretty much has like coin flips. She has like these jump attacks that they can cross you up. So when you play a game like Street Fighter, if you're blocking, all you have to do is hold away from your opponent. So one of the strategies to try and get through blocking with jump attacks is to land almost directly straight on top of them, but to be to either side so they don't know which way is back. So okay. if they jump straight down on top of you and you actually make it so that your attack connects on their back, then they're no longer blocking because they're holding towards you. So you have okay. these things, they call that a cross-up. And all it is is you're attacking from an angle, but you're actually hitting the other side. So her thing is she can kind of do all this stuff and then do an attack that kind of comes up in the air and the person has to kind of react to it in a way that isn't just stand there and block um, or do an attack because they have to be afraid that they're going to get thrown or some other type of pressure. So she was able to like, that's what was happening is infiltration. Every time he guessed, he guessed wrong. It was a coin flip and he was always picking the wrong side of the coin. So what he did was able to kind of develop strategies where it's like he was able to make it a little bit better than a coin flip where he was able to, anticipate which way he was going to try and get mixed up understand that the combo is going to be dropped in this thing here and yeah that that was his 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 big comeback was being able to do that i think you just saw the power of nash where he wasn't like fireball 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 he was all buttons he was just punching and jabbing and kicking and playing defensive and being a wall and every time somebody tried to attack him he'd jump up and punch him in the head or kick him you know anti-airs 
He wasn't doing anything super fancy. All he was doing was throw the odd fireball and then just buttons, buttons, buttons. It was like one point where he just did five buttons. It wasn't a combo or anything like that. It was just like a kick, a kick, a punch, a kick, and just was able to fire them off and did like 40% damage. And it wasn't doing... It made it so... It just made it look more impressive. It was like watching a a George and Pierre fight when he's just like jabbing a guy in the face nonstop. Just jab, 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 jab. Like it wasn't doing anything too crazy. He was just jabbing. And he was getting there with it. Uh... I guess the difference between it and a George St. Pierre fight is that, you know, Infiltration finished his fight, so. <laughs> have you, I've never asked you, have you ever played in, in a tournament? No, no. Never played in a tournament. Um, would you? I, I think I would. Like, that's actually one thing that Edmonton is super lacking on. We don't have, like, a, a, an FGC place, a fighting game community place. We don't have, like, that place. And, like, it's one of those... If I had money or I was able to, you know, put myself into a spot to take a leap, I would make like an FGC bar. I would have a a bar, a gaming bar in general, but it would have a fighting game community aspect to it. We would get somebody to come out and commentate the matches. We would do it just like you see uh, on the streams and stuff like that. I'd have someone loud and boisterous to kind of talk about it, play a little bit of trash, have people playing against each other, have some music going on, kind of try and get that community in there and get everyone going like you know the 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 large and in charge type of environment with that i think that would be absolutely fantastic i think you could make some good money doing a a place like that you could have extra fight sticks you could uh you know magic shops will buy and sell cards you could probably have buy and sell fight sticks people could go in you could sell parts for them you could rent them out to people you could do uh there was a place in vegas called insert coins so they had a bunch of old arcade cabinets but you could also just go and pick up a console and go and sit in a booth with a TV and, you know, do your thing for the evening type thing. So have, have something along those lines where it's like, do that and then just have like weekly FGC tournaments and, you know, maybe they get drink tab out of it or something like that. So I think that might be really cool. Obviously you got to get all the, uh, the smash guys into it and you'd have to figure out a way to make your place maybe more like a pool hall so that you could have the kids in there until nine o'clock to play their, their Pokemons and stuff like that. Right, right. Hmm. But just have like a place that's dedicated to more of the geek culture, but doing the things that everybody wants to do when they're younger, such as go out and drink. <laughs> yeah, we, we see a bunch of arcade bar or, or board game bars uh, being developed in, in downtown Montreal. I'm not sure they're harnessing the power of the uh, FGC. Uh... Well, it, it's out there, and I think like if you can get them, you should get them, and I yeah i think so it's a game that again is starting to get a little bit more attention evo does a fantastic job of getting it on the map and making it relevant for what weekend out of the year uh but capcom's got a whole pro tour going on now so uh canada cups is a big tournament um every year like it's it's one of the bigger stops on their tour so it's it's a thing that is out there and i enjoy playing the games like the tough part is is that my buddy that i play these games with i'm not really I'm not really interacting with much anymore. He's been working and kind of taking his life in a bit of a different direction. So that kind of stinks because it really impacts my ability to have my, my street fighter buddy with me. Like my PlayStation four, when I got back from, uh, from Toronto, I set it up in my room and I haven't really touched the thing. 
like my fight sticks are out and everything like that but i haven't plugged everything in like i haven't played the game in quite a while now so it's really quite depressing but i do enjoy what what infiltration said and i think it's great advice for any sort of game any sort of thing like that if you want to be good at it you can do things online but really where it's best is you want to go to live tournaments you want to go to tournaments you want to go to a friend's house and get a bunch of people together in a house and play the crap out of a game i think in magic it's the same thing you can play online and the tough part about playing magic online is that there's no feedback like right. it's it's a great way to get your reps in but unless you're streaming it, unless you're doing videos, unless you're doing something where somebody can be peering over your shoulder and giving you feedback, it doesn't act as a, as a teaching tool. What it does is it gives you the ability to take your hypothesis and put them into a real-world situation. So if you need to get reps to see if whether or not the, this card is good or this card is good. It's a great environment for that. If you need a way to get in and just see what happens when uh, Nihiri Jeskai runs into Dredge and what cards are going to be cards that seem like they're the most important cards, that's great. But if you're playing a deck fundamentally wrong, if you're not playing the deck properly, if you're not recognizing the way that your deck's supposed to play, if you're not uh, playing mechanically sound, Magic Online is not going to help you with that because you don't have anybody to say, well, why the heck would you do it that way? Like, why did you choose to do that? You're playing against the deck like uh, through the breach Emrakul uh, in the, the, the scape shift uh, format type thing. And you have the ability to do multiple things on turn one, one of them being a thought seize. Why are you thought seizing on one when you could be thought seizing on three or something like that, where it's going to be way more important because they mulliganed to six and they kept a card on top. Like, why would you fire off with the turn one? Thoughtsies at that point, because if you're not seeing maybe the, the most important card is the card that they just left on top of their deck. And you're giving them the ability to draw into a couple things where if you catch them on that turn that they're supposed to get you right before it, you can get them. You know, it's it's stuff like that. You're playing against like a counterspell style deck, you know, firing off your thoughtsies uh either the turn before or the same turn as you're going to cast the important threat that you need to get on the board that they can't deal with, but they could counter. You know, there's there's times where people just make mechanically bad decisions um, for their deck, for their style of card, for certain matchups. And those things, you have a way better chance of learning when you're doing it amongst your peers and being able to communicate with people and having that person over your shoulder who might be a little bit better than you. Heck, they might be worse, but maybe they're better in this spot than you to say, well, why the heck did you do it like that? Because a lot of people are just not strong enough to do that to themselves to critique their own plays to go back and say you know what i did that wrong and that's where i think magic online is weak i think you get better testing when you're doing it with people so did he did he mention all this stuff when did he mention all this stuff infiltration uh infiltration he did his interview at the end of the tournament okay so his interview with gutex or gutex on uh on the thing there were one of the questions they asked him is like, if you're a new player, how do you get into the game? And I, I added a lot onto that, but he just said like the best thing to do is go play in real, like go play in, in, in person tournaments, grab a console and a bunch of sticks and go to a friend's house and get a bunch of people there and play there, uh, play with people. You know, his big message was don't play online. His big message was play with people. 
go play tournaments, okay. go out in that. The fighting game community is fantastic. Go out there and be a part of it. Sweet advice. I I, I just find his, his dominance so so inspiring. So um and Jarrod, did you have a terrible codenames play before uh we wrap this up? What? <laughs> what, did you hear something? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, someone told me. Doug? Did Doug tell you something? No, no you did, you did. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. well, uh, that was more just a generalization, but yeah, I did actually have a really terrible code names play. Um, I gotta, gotta, gotta hear this. Okay, so... Um, we had... Uh, we had a game of code names at the WMCQ. And I'm, I'm the clue giver. And the board is pretty tough for me. <laughs> and the tough part that I'm in is that the clue that the other team gave their people right off the start was like a medical-related one. And they, they, they goofed it right early. So they had extra clues. Like it was like an a, a injury four or something like that. And one of my cards was arm. And they were hung up on arm, but they hadn't picked it yet because they screwed up a different one. So they kept staying on arm and I didn't want to give clues related to arm because I was worried. I, I didn't want to take arm away. I wanted to give them the opportunity to screw up and hit arm. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so I'm in a spot where I, uh, I'm in a spot where I'm about to give a clue and the other team had done something and my clue because you're always supposed to prep your clue right before the other team does their thing, right? So, like, you don't have the game just going on for infinite ever. And my clue, because I was really trying to get things going, was uh, tossing. Or, uh, <laughs> oh, what was it? It was, uh, oh, I, can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. It was something really bad where the, the things that I wanted people to do was recognize that you could throw, like, a baseball and you could throw a midget. Like it was just, it was just completely inappropriate, completely inappropriate. but it was, it was what I was going with because I was trying to stay away from arm. And I thought that worst case scenario, they grab arm. So they, uh, they get away from that. And I've got, I've got souls still on the board, like soul on the board. And I've also got whip on the board. So they take away mine. And everybody's getting ready because the round's going to be up. And I'm just like panicking to throw a thing out because all of a sudden they picked the wrong thing. They picked one of mine and they took away my clue because they picked one of my cards. And I wasn't going to okay. for one. So I had to come up with a new clue on like a dime. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I got whip and I got soul. And I'm like, well, fuck, let's go with Erebos. Like, I'll, just, I'll just throw it out. Wow, wow. I'll just throw it Erebos. The thing that in that momentary spot where you're trying to make a snap decision and you don't necessarily take all of the variables into account, something got through the blind side there. <laughs> and that something was something that me and the other clue giver had a laugh about was that there was also the card death on the table. Oh, God. And death was the assassin. Oh. So I fire out Erebos and they're like, well, whip makes sense. And one of the guys is like, soul. Oh, but there's death. He's like, Erebos, god of the death. So I was like, well, is that, snap, the, is that the name snap. of the card? I'm like, like, the guy's are like, I don't know. And the second they say that, like, all of a sudden, it's just like, it's like, oh, no, I'm fucked. 
<laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like trying not to give away any like physical clues, but I am sick to my stomach. And like one of the guys on my team is just like, judge calls the judge over because we're at the WMCQ and the judge turns over and he's like, what? He's like, I need Oracle text on a card. Oh no. And everybody's like, uh, okay. He's like, yeah, what's the name of Erebos? Somebody's like Erebos, keeper or God of the, of the dead or whatever. Keeper of the dead. God of the dead. God of the dead. I'm just like, oh fuck. You know, like I'm not saying anything, but I'm just sitting there just like, oh please, oh please. And one of the guys was still like, well, you know, souls might be actually the place to be on this one. So I was like, for a second, I was like, holy crap. Like I might just get out of this. But they immediately hit death, and I'm just like, yeah, we lose. And they're like, what the fuck was that? And yeah, for the rest of the tournament, people would just be coming up, like, random person that I don't really know, that I'm just an acquaintance, they'd be like, why would you pick Erebos there? And it was just like, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. <laughs> snap, I, I snap, I snap picked them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and whip, probably. Yeah, so it, that's exactly <laughs> what they were going for. They were like, whip's death, and it's just like, game, thanks guys. <laughs> But I can't blame them. Like it's completely on me. <laughs> it has to be whip. Yeah, it has to be whip, and it has to be death. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh man, terrible, terrible. But I, I, I've done stuff like that before. Where I forget that uh, it matches up really nicely with the assassin card. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was pretty cute that it was again death on the assassin. So yeah, that was a good screw up. <laughs> that was my bad, bad codenames play. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, anything on the horizon for you in the next? Uh, besides what you we talked about uh, playing that last uh, LCQ, right? Yeah. So I got the last LCQ. I got a PPTQ this weekend. Ooh. So uh, it's the start of the modern ones. Uh, Warp Two's got a PPTQ. It's actually a double PPTQ weekend, and I actually have the week off of work, so. We've got, uh, we're putting in a pipe bridge, and it is a steel pipe bridge that's probably 20 meters tall, and it is from the center tower to the center of the tower, it's 91 meters, so it's probably closer to like 105, 110 meters long, and it's just steel. The thing is ridiculously heavy. And they went to pick it up on some jacks to do a weighing to make sure because they brought in two cranes and those cranes are going to be at like 90% of their threshold. So that's, that's already over like lifting these cranes. And this thing fell off of the jacks and almost fell over and like almost killed a whole bunch of people. Like, holy shit. Yeah, like it landed on the supports. The center supports were kicked up these giant steel uh, drums with the giant H-beam steel that it was sitting on. The H-beam steel was, like, kicked up, and the drums were kicked up on their side. And the people, like, the iron workers were paranoid to have anybody around there because even though the thing didn't fall over, those cans, the way they were, they were under such stress that they could just randomly shoot out, like, a, like a cannonball. Uh, like, they had to evacuate this entire office that uh, was near the thing, and they had to shut down the whole site and all kinds of nonsense. And because of that, now I don't have a a week of work because all of a sudden now they've got this very unstable giant chunk of steel that is, I I don't know, I I can only imagine that it's probably in the thousands of tons, like, of steel, like, mind-boggling obscene amount of steel uh, and weight that they've got to deal with now before a week or anything. So I'm pretty much off work now for a week, potentially two weeks now. 
So I don't know what's going to go on. Um, but it means I get to play a lot more Magic, and maybe this weekend I'll play two days instead of just one day. Uh, originally, I was only going to play one day, but if I'm going to be off all week and watching the kid and doing all that kind of stuff, I might be able to free up two weeks for uh, PPTQs. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Going to try out Dredge. There is a part of me that might want to go back to my Dredge Vine ways because I now have Haunted Dead, uh, which is the card out of uh, a card out of the. Uh, Eldritch Moon. Eldritch Moon, yeah. That you were you were talking about a few two or three episodes ago. Yeah. So yeah, the uh he's a black and three, two two zombie. Uh when he comes in the battlefield, you put a one one uh, white spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Uh but the important text on him is uh that you can pay a one and a black and discard two cards to return it from the graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So the fact that it gets the one one flyer makes us way better versus infect. Um and the fact that it's a zombie and it stays on the battlefield makes my dredge vines better because grave crawlers all of a sudden get turned on better. So there's that. Um, there is a deck that's been churning in the back of my head that I want to get to. Uh, it's the deck that got me into dredge in the first place, which was actually a blasting station deck. And I feel like we're probably getting close enough to be able to start doing some blasting station shenanigans with things like Restless Dead now. So. Ooh. Um, I really like Blasting Station. Having the Sacrifice Outlet is really powerful, so uh, I might start brewing something along those lines and getting back to something like that because we have some uh, some much better cards uh, these days. So you had mentioned to me uh, during chat, maybe you have mentioned it in in last episode that uh, you saw Sean McLaren playing something really saucy. Oh yeah, absolutely. the The saucy deck was he was playing a restore balance with Nahiri. Uh, since the tournament, he's actually put a video on uh, on Star City Games of him playing a deck. It was not the same deck, because the deck that he was playing uh, at the event was more uh, was a Jeskai style, as opposed to, uh, he went uh, Mardu, I think, in his uh, video one. Uh, so with the Jeskai one, he was able to play uh, more things like uh, card draw spells to fix up stuff instead of on the black side. I think he was just playing uh, Read the Bones. I, I can't remember what he had in his uh, Star City list. But yeah, he was playing around with something like that. I thought it was extremely cute. So, Not good? Or what's the current uh, feel, your current evaluation of that deck? Uh, I don't think it's good, but I okay. think it's worth looking at because my style of collected company was always the Planeswalker style. So planeswalkers and border posts. Uh, I think that that's a really cool place to be. And um, he was kind of there, but I think maybe if he adds in a few different, uh, a few different uh, planeswalkers, maybe he has a little bit of a better deck. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I I, I want to look at his list, look at my list, and see what I can steal from it. I I love the fact that you can throw Nahiri, like the four Nahiris, and a emerical into it and give it an alternate win condition i think that's huge uh one of the things that we were talking about was that his sideboard could probably be a little bit better uh for targeting specific decks because the way that those decks operate being able to cascade into restore balance sometimes you can just change up what's going on especially if you have the secondary win condition now you can change up your cascade plan so say I'm playing this Jeskai Cascade 
uh, Restore Balance deck, and I'm playing against Infect. Well, I can change my sideboard into getting rid of Restore Balance, or maybe even keeping one Restore Balance, and throw a couple uh, Malaras in there now. So I drop a Malara into play now, and maybe maybe they can't deal with that. Now when I Cascade, I'm not afraid of Ink Moth Nexus because I just Cascade into Malara, and it's like, well, what the hell do you do now? And I beat you up with my other Planeswalkers. So I, I stop being Restore Balance, and I beat that against red base decks or like zoo or something like that, I can have it be core firewalker. So I can find these, these specialized two drops that are just really effective against certain decks. I'm playing against ad nauseum or I'm playing against uh, like a Grishol brand type deck. Maybe Thalia is enough to beat those decks or playing against storm. So I can have my two, my cascade into storm instead or cascade into Thalia to beat up storm instead. So I, there's all of these like really interesting two mana hate cards that can steal games uh, in different matchups. Maybe one of them is uh, a Gaddock Teague. Like, maybe Gaddock Teague does something that is crazy. I, I don't know. Like, it would be very interesting to build, like, this random Restore Balance Cascade control deck that also has, like, this five or six card sideboard of two drops that are specialized to shut down a specific deck. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you're playing against Dredge, well, it's like you hit Rest in Peace. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that, that, that seems pretty good. Like, 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 I'm sorry, people. I keep liking. Like, I know. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm ultimately excited what you end up playing this, uh, this weekend. And uh... Yeah, because it would be pretty damn sweet to do well and win one of these stupid things. Um, it's not going to be a local one. It's funny that it's funny that if I do get to play in an RPTQ, I'm going to play it in Portugal. <laughs> I get a real kick out of that. So, and uh, I have no idea what their meta's like. I have no idea what their attendance is going to be like. You're going to shock them, man. You're going to shock. You're going to shock that country. I hope so. I just need a good deck. So people, people, <laughs> people. Hook me up. <laughs> I need the help. Let's see, 23rd. Yeah, so PPTQ on the 23rd. And what's on the 24th? Oh, nothing. Nothing is on the 24th. So. Do, 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 do. All right. So you heard it. Got to help, help Jeremy. Leave the comments. And uh, I'll see you next week, uh, everyone. And I'll talk to you next week as well, Jeremy. What are you going to do next week? I don't know. I have no fucking idea. What do you do that's fun? What are you doing for fun? You watching shows? Think, you doing anything? You playing video games? Yeah. I, I might. I might. I might uh, finally lay lay down some money and and get myself Street Fighter Five. So oh. that that's what I'm. Looking that would be great because if you do that, then we have to like jump on and play against each other. We should set up like a stream or something like that. And oh, some stream matches. That would be sick. That would that's, be sick. I could totally make that happen. I've got everything that I need to make that happen. So. Then I can I can learn. Oh, Sorry, you will not start. learn anything from me. I can tell you that much. Oh, oh man, I'll be buried to sub in for me. Yes, exactly. Let <laughs> Barry teach us. We'll let the master. <laughs> but it, it's it's or, hilarious because we were having a, a a chat about the show, and uh, I think it's really healthy to have some of these conversations somewhat open. And we were just talking about like what is the direction of the show? What should we be or, like? 
some people are not like sometimes we're not feeling magic like kyt is not in a magic spot right now that's no. fair right buddy that is 100 yeah. percent fair. and my feedback was like i i want the the a team to feel like a gp in the sense that like you can go and you can you go for magic and you have sometimes you just have these shows or these uh tournaments where it's like magic is going awesome and you do really well in the tournament everything's exciting and it's really magic heavy but with a lot of gps you go there and there's so many people and maybe you don't do so great but you go and you do all this other stuff you play code names terribly you go and you talk about this stuff like the fact that, like, at the mana deprived party, uh, or the face to face—I don't even know what party it was—the the the Scotty Mac party, the whatever at GP Toronto—it was Barry and a couple of the other guys whose names I can't remember, and it's terrible. But we just kept doing like Zangief, uh, like Zangief taunts at each other, and, uh, <laughs> muscle power, you know, like all this kind of stuff all night. And I remember that. I don't remember the tournament, but I remember like those moments. And like those moments are great. And you know, magic brought me here, but I'm not talking about magic. I'm talking about these wonderful things that happen in our community where the Venn diagrams cross over with something else and like it's truly awesome. <clears throat> and that's what I like out of the show. So I have no problem talking about Street Fighter and I have no problem you guys complaining about us talking about Street Fighter. But I think it's just fun to have fun with my magic friends. And if it's not playing magic, it's doing something else. And as we mentioned before, we had a guy give an interview who won Evo, and what he said translates to other games. You, you learn, if you're willing to learn and your mind is open, you will learn things from different sources than just playing Magic. So, I would love to play some, uh, some Street Fighter V. Sounds good. Any, any, actually, any, this is a call to, to all our uh, listeners, anyone who's down for... Uh... To form a little A team, a Street Fighter Five community, you know, make sure to to comment for sure. Um, so yeah, that's that's our episode, and uh, I think I'll be glad to be back to one hundred percent health next week, and uh, talk to you next week, Jared. I love you all. <laughs> <laughs>